Well, that's one of my favorite songs, the song that Mary sings, what we call the Magnificat from Luke chapter 1. Whenever she encounters her cousin Elizabeth, and we recall the story of little John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth leaping for joy whenever Mary comes and greets, and then Elizabeth and Mary burst into song and blessing and prayer, what we just sang together. And really what we're going to rehearse tonight with our annual Christmas pageant, and you will have noticed there's some decoration behind me and over here on the panels. And every year on the third Sunday, we have our Christmas pageant. Tonight's no different. We're going to have singing and prayer and a reenactment of the story. And following that, we're going to go to the FLC and, and share some fellowship and some food. And we'll hope that you'll come back for that. It is a, a wonderful event in the life of this church, something I'm looking forward to this evening. Well, we talked about last week that amidst all the singing and the joy and the announcements of the Gospel of Luke, there's another version of the Christmas story that I, I think really speaks to a good many of us, and it's the story that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. Last December, I had the opportunity to preach through the last part of Matthew chapter 2, the story of Joseph and Mary, the refugees, really. It's the theme of homelessness and displacement and disorientation. And yet, that good news is no less good news than what we find in the Gospel of Luke. It's great news because there in the storms of life, as Joseph and Mary are, are in transition, God is with them. God is guiding them. God is always a step ahead of those who would threaten the Messiah. And really, that's the story of the Gospel of Matthew related to that Christmas story. It's the unfolding of the meaning of God's name, of Jesus' name. The literal name of Jesus is important, no doubt, but for the Gospel of Matthew, it's that metaphorical name. It's that name that's, that's prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Emmanuel, God with us. That was good news for the people back then. It is good news today that God with us has arrived. And in fact, God with us is here right now among his people. Well, here at the end of the year, with that in mind, I want to close out the year with three sermons related to where we began this year in 2018. And that's the theme of mission. So we're going to have to use our imaginations a bit with our banners that have disappeared. So over here we had our banner of mission, Pray to the Lord of Harvest, which is a vital part of mission. And over here we had mission, Here I Am, Send Me, the the call of Isaiah, the, the call that we are all called to make and answer the calling that God has given us. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to focus on mission. And at the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, we're given a gift to help us think about mission. And that is the story of the wise men. A story that has grown in legend. We have a song that is dedicated, a Christmas hymn that is dedicated to these three kings, so to speak. It might not be the most accurate song, though. We don't know. The passage doesn't tell us that there are three men. It tells us that there are three gifts, but not necessarily three men. It certainly doesn't say that there are three kings. We have to do a little bit of interpretive gymnastics in order to get there. 
But that doesn't mean we can't sing that song with joy. And it certainly doesn't mean that we can't read this story afresh this morning. We heard it in our Bible classes. Let's hear the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2 once more. Hear the word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May God bless the reading of his word. There's a name I've mentioned before, my favorite satirist, philosopher, Jack Handy. Jack Handy, who wrote Deep Thoughts for SNL. And this is what he says. This is a question he asks. Brace yourself. What is it that makes a complete stranger dive into an icy river to save a solid gold baby? Maybe we'll never know. Well... There's a question a little more serious that we can apply to the Magi, but along the same lines. What would drive someone, what would possess someone to make this perilous journey to go and see a baby, or more accurately, a child? What's lost in this ever-so-quick telling of the story is the journey itself. This perilous journey, and I have lots of questions about this journey, and maybe you did too. We explored some of these in our Bible classes. Who are these men? Who are the Magi? Where did they come from when it says they came from the east? Where is this city that they're from in the east? What about this star? Was this a natural phenomenon, or was this something supernatural? How did they connect the star to this king of the Jews? Did they know the Jewish prophecies? Or, I would think this is the case, did God speak through their prophets and point them to a specific time of the Savior of the world? 
Well, we could ask these questions all day, but we're going to run into a brick wall when it comes to the Gospel of Matthew because the inspired writer is not interested in answering these types of questions. It's so, matter of fact, the Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. And yet, there's a little room for our imaginations to fill in the gaps if we allow ourselves to. This has already been done. We've already talked about the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. That's a colorful retelling of the story of the three kings who who gave these three gifts to Jesus. Uh, The star of wonder, the star of light. We're familiar with those words. But there's a retelling of the story of the Magi that I would invite us to consider this week. It's easy to find, and perhaps in your morning devotional studies, I would encourage you to look this up. It's T.S. Eliot's poem. The Journey of the Magi. The Journey of the Magi. So when we get to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we are told this. The wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, but what T.S. Eliot calls upon us to do is to stop and to pause and to take that in before we go to the rest of the text. Because there's a lot packed into that statement. A lot for our imaginations to really take in. So the way that Eliot does this, he, he pictures himself or pictures a wise man way down in the future looking back on this moment, looking on this journey. Let's hear these words from T.S. Eliot and see if it might help us in thinking about this text. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey. The way's deep, the weather's sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camel's galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camelmen cursing and grumbling, and running away, and wanting their liquor and women, and the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. And so T.S. Eliot calls on readers of the Bible to pause, to not move so quickly through the story and to consider for a few moments the cost of that journey. What, What would cause these men to go on this perilous journey to Judea to visit this child? Well, maybe it was their curiosity. They see a star and From my reading of these magi, they are religious men, but they're also astrologers, ancient astrologers. They read the stars, and there's something in this star that points them back to a prophecy, but why do they follow it? Do they go just to see what they want to see, just to see what there is to see? Are they just curious? Well, Matthew tells us that there's a lot more going on in the story than mere curiosity. When they come to Jerusalem, we're told that they ask questions. And I can see them going to the vendors in the streets, asking whomever comes in their path, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? 
For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Isn't that curious? These Gentiles, these foreigners, these astrologers have come to worship. And this morning, as we think about mission, we see the identity of these wise men becoming clearer. And to borrow a popular term, these wise men are what we would call seekers. They're seekers. No one would go on a journey like that unless they were seeking something, seeking something of great value. And to take it even further, someone does not seek after something that valuable unless they are called. So when that star rises and these men identify it with whatever information they had in front of them, it enlivens something inside of them. And I would say that it enlivens a certain restlessness within them. It's restlessness that drives these men to the child. It's that restlessness that Augustine talks about in his famous quote, one of my favorite quotes, when Augustine says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. Our heart is restless until it rests in thee. You see, there's something innate. There's something innate in all of us. J.K.A. Smith once said, and we read his book a couple of summers ago, he said that we are hardwired to worship. Have you ever thought about that? We are hardwired to worship. To be human is to be a worshiper. We could find the most hardened atheist out there, and he is going to worship something. Every single one of us set our affections on something. It is in our DNA to worship. And we think about the Magi, there's this restlessness, restlessness for some kind of worship that draws them. It can't be just this star that compels these men to make the journey. They have come, Matthew tells us, to worship. And so there in the background noise of the worship of their own countries, the worship of foreign gods and foreign deities and the rhythm of their weekly gatherings there at the temples, whatever that looked like there in the east, the Magi receive a call from the true and living God. And they discover this star, and they set out to find the king of the Jews, a new object of worship. So as we allow our imaginations to take the story in of the wise men we also have the opportunity this morning to take a step back and to consider the magi among us this morning. The seekers who are in our midst, maybe even some seekers in this room right now as we speak. Seekers who have heard the call of the true and living God through whatever mysterious way God works in drawing people to himself. Do we know, do we know any seekers this morning? Do we know anyone who has a restless heart? Let's take a moment and think about such people.
for well over a year now, we have prayed for the team in San Luis, and we've prayed for Mark and Melinda, and I've, I hate that Melinda and Jude weren't able to be with us this morning. We've prayed for them. We've prayed for the hills. We've prayed that God would connect them to seekers, that God would connect them to people whose hearts were restless, people who knew something was not quite right, and there are holes that needed to be filled, and they needed to hear good news, and God has been faithful. He has connected that team to so many different people, and we continue to pray for them. But in thinking about the theme of mission, the reason why we chose that theme was not just because we were joining with this effort to send a team to Sao Luis, but it was also to stir our own thinking and to stir our own passion and our own sense of urgency about the mission that's in our own backyard. The mission to the people who live next door to us. The mission to the people we work with. The mission to the people that we run into on a daily basis. People that we don't really know, but we are connected and somehow we get in this spiritual conversation And from the outside looking in, it looks as if this is a random meeting, a coincidence, but as people of faith, we know something else is going on there. We read it all through Scripture. The Spirit connecting people together, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the seeker and the person with the good news. And we run across people who are in our paths. They have questions. We're in conversation. They have questions. God's fingerprints are all over that. That's part of our mission. We have a mission for the seekers, the people who come here who have questions, who have that restlessness in their hearts, that emptiness that they have found in those things that they've put their faith in, those objects of their worship. Who are those people? There's a word that I often hear applied to faith, and it's the word journey. And I love that word. That's a great word. Every single one of us here, we're at different places on this journey. But it's one of the reasons why the, the story of the Magi is such a gift to the seekers. Because, well, the Magi are seekers. The Magi are on this journey. And so when we read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, this isn't just an historical account of wise men visiting a child and God making a way for them to escape from King Herod, the madman. That's not what this is all about. When we take a step back and really take in the story, what we find is the journey of faith. It's the journey of a seeker embodied in these wise men. Seekers who are called the restless heart called by their maker. Seekers who meet other voices, in this case, the voice of a madman who is seeking to deceive and use them for, for terrible, terrible events. We also see in this story at the end that moment, that precious moment when the seeker encounters that which he seeks. There's a beautiful passage in the, the book of Hebrews, the Sermon of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, where the writer says that God rewards those who seek him God rewards those who seek him and we see this played out in the story as these wise men they leave Herod and they see this star once again rest on the home of this child and they go there with joy in their hearts their hearts are filled with joy and then that joy turns into wonder and awe I read uh, a work this week a 
from a conversation partner that I use for the Gospel of Matthew, and he said, if I were to preach this sermon, I would entitle this sermon, The Fourth Gift of the Magi. Fourth Gift of the Magi. And when we look at the story, we see that there was an extra gift there, and it's actually the first gift that was given before the gold, before the frankincense, before the myrrh. We see the Magi approaching the child, and they give themselves. They give themselves in worship. They fall to their knees, and they worship. Their restless hearts have found rest in God. But what next? The journey doesn't end there. But as we think about mission this morning and the journey of the Magi from seekers to worshipers, might we spend a little time with thinking about what happens next? Well, we know what happens immediately next. God makes a way for them to escape the clutches of King Herod and really a way for the Messiah to escape because Herod was a madman indeed. But what, what I'm really asking is what's next? Have you ever thought of that? What happened to these Magi? What do you do after you have an encounter with the living God? And all of a sudden you go back to your homes, your foreign lands with these foreign gods. What happened to the Magi? Well, we don't know. But as we close this morning, I would invite us to hear once again T.S. Eliot. Because his imagination was spinning and thinking about this. He speaks to this restlessness that the Magi must have had at that, that time after. and So years down the road, he's looking back. The wise man is looking back. And this is what he says. He says, all this was a long time ago. I remember. And I would do it again. But set down this, set down this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us like death, our death. We returned to our palaces, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. What a beautiful description of the restlessness that we're talking about. Someone who has an encounter with the true and living God and then he walks away and he realizes that the things that he had treasured, the things that he'd put so much hope in and so much faith in, the things that he had worshipped no longer had sway over his heart. That's like a death. How could you not experience some disorientation there as you go back? Well, that's the journey of the seeker. And what I hear this morning in this story has more to do with this side of the banner, praying to the Lord of harvest. I hear a call to prayer. Well, next week we're going to get into some nitty-gritty and talking about mission before this morning, I hear the call to prayer, to pray to the Lord of harvest. And what do we pray for? 
what's the content of our prayers? Is it not that God would help us to be more in tune and maybe even hypersensitive to the restlessness of the people with whom we come in contact with, to have a keener sense of that restlessness, to recognize it when we see it right before us, and that whenever someone encounters us, that God would give us the words and the courage to speak good news into that restlessness, and that in that restlessness they would encounter Emmanuel, God with us. And as they would walk away from that encounter, we pray that they would recognize the emptiness of a life that is void of God. Restlessness comes at all different parts of the journey. There's that restlessness that's kind of that itch that people don't know really where to scratch. There's something off about this world. There's, so, there's a hole that needs to be filled. There's that kind of restlessness. There's also restlessness in the transition when somebody has had an encounter with God and all of a sudden they're confronted with this life after. How do I go back to that life now that I have found God? Our prayer is that God would connect us to these people. To the Magi, to the seekers, and that their restless hearts would find rest in God and glorify the Father above. That is the mission before us, and we need help. We need the grace of God to carry this out. So this week and in the the weeks to come, may we be even more fervent in our prayers that God would connect us to the Magi walking in our midst. We have the invitation this morning, and often restlessness really becomes apparent in the storms of life. And we're going to sing a song now that's really built on the psalm, Psalm 46, but it's a song that we're familiar with. Our youth sings it. It's called Still, and perhaps in the stillness, we pray that we would hear God's voice. If you'd like to respond to the invitation to the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, of God who has reconciled the world to himself through Jesus. We invite you to come this morning as we stand and as we sing.